Hi, and welcome to another episode of Adventures in Contracting. I am Leona Charles, the CEO and president of SPC Business Consulting, where we do all things government contracts. And today we have a very special issue of something that is going to take effect tomorrow, October the 8th, as a matter of fact. And it's a subject that is near and dear to most government contractors' uh, hearts at the moment. And it's causing quite a few growing pains. So I want to get on the get on the record and talk about it and have a, a little discussion about what's coming up the coming down the pipe rather for government contractors. So what we're going to talk about today are the federal contractor COVID-19 vaccine requirements. And this has been a big discussion, at least around here, um, around the Beltway, with people talking about what's required, what do I do, what is it applied to, am I directly affected, are my subcontractors affected? And those are all extremely valid Um very relevant questions at the moment. There's a lot of information floating around. A lot of it is contradictory, but I have gone through and read the executive order so you don't have to, um, even though I do recommend you still do so. Um, So let's get into it and let's talk about it. Before we do get started, though, I do want to do a couple of housekeeping things. If you have any comments or questions, or if you have something that you'd like me to clarify, please reach out to us on our website, spcconsulting.org, or you can reach out to us on Facebook at SPC Business Consulting, um, or uh, Twitter at contracting underscore IN, um, or on LinkedIn. You can either search SPC Business Consulting or Adventures in Contracting. Either way, we'll get a message to me if you have any questions and we can clarify as much as possible. So the executive order was issued on September 9th of this year, and it brings big changes, as I said, to federal contractors. But here are the biggest hits. So The first section requires contractors to have adequate protection um, or adequate safeguards rather for COVID-19. So what does that mean? Um, Well, it means a couple of things. So first, I want to talk about the entirety of this this whole clause. And so it says you need to have adequate COVID-19 safeguards for workers performing on or in connection with a federal government contract or a contract-like requirement. So this is really important. That contract-like sentence is something that we really need to pay attention to because I think sometimes we say, oh, well, it's not like a it's not like a typical government contract, so I don't need to worry about it. But the way that this executive order was written, that phrase contract-like is going to loop in a whole lot of kind of quasi-contractors. So we need to be on the lookout for that. And adequate for the definitions of this executive order means that it meets the definition of the Safer Federal Workspace Task Force Guidelines. So now those guidelines were supposed to come out September the 25th, and that is where you will go to make sure that any protocols that you have in place actually are standing up to that adequate that adequate definition that's mentioned in this executive order. So by September 24th, you should have started to see the effects of this executive order trickling down into contracts that you were bidding on or option years that were being exercised or um, base years that were being awarded. So this clause, um, what you will see is that this clause requires a similar clause in your subcontracting agreements, all your subcontracting agreements for subcontractors that work 
on a go on a government contract on a federal government contract rather excuse me or a contract like instrument so again this is going to have far-reaching um repercussions and it is going to produce a little bit of an administrative burden from the contract administration portion of your contracts for especially small businesses um if you're doing quite a bit of government business, this is going to really affect you in, in terms of administrative burden. So please be aware, this executive order is encompassing contract-like instruments too. So it's not just straight, you know, straight to line government contracts. The clause also is going to be in effect throughout the entirety of the period of performance. So if you've got your typical one base and four one-year options, this clause is in effect for all five years. So your subcontracting agreements then will need to reflect that they need to have your subcontractors and all of the people associated even peripherally with this contract needs to have a COVID adequate pro safety protocol in place throughout the entirety of the five years. Um, so, And that's going to be really important. And when you come up and do your yearly compliance reviews with your subcontractors, which I hope everyone's doing, um, you're going to have to have that conversation with them. And you're going to have to show in your administration that you are having these conversations with your contractor and that you are verifying that these protocols are in place and they are in fact being utilized. The initial implementation phase of this starts tomorrow, uh, October the 8th, and will be fully implemented into any new contract or contract-like in instrument by October the 15th. So like literally a week away. Um, it's a big change and I think it's gonna cause a lot of confusion, but the, the best way to address that confusion is to know that you've gotta have this clause. So what we need to do right now is get to work on developing that clause that clearly defines according to the the safer uh what is it the safer federal workforce task force guidelines that your definitions meet their definitions and they're equal and you are developing clauses in your subcontracting agreements that reflect those requirements that reflect the requirement that this clause is in effect for all five years that reflect a compliance portion of it as in you will have your contractors either attest that these are the protocols that they're having or that someone from your office, whoever is doing your contract administration, is going to physically check, you know, whether that's send me, you know, send me some um, some assessments or some checklists that sign off that are attesting that you have this protocol or I'm actually, if possible and if safe for you, will be on site to visually attest that these protocols are, are being done. So you're going to have to have a compliance portion to ensure that you, you do in fact have adequate safeguards. Um, the next thing that you need to realize is um, for contracts or contract-like instruments that are issued during this kind of two-week period of uh, implementation, the EO is highly suggesting that those contracts be realigned or to, I don't, I don't know if realigned is the right word, but be pulled back and adjusted to align with the executive order. So the bottom line is that they're going to say there's probably no grandfather clause. Um, I know that as contractors, we kind of enjoy that for for uh, contracts that were signed prior to new regs coming out. But it seems like this one, they're not going to give us that, that um, 
that option. There's not going to be a grandfather option for it. So they're going to highly suggest that amendments be um, be issued that bring that contract in line with this executive order. So here's here's really where the rubber meets the road, right? This is what you will have to absolutely comply with. If if you have any of these instruments, you will have to comply. If you have a uh, if you have a new contract or a contract like like instrument, you will have this clause. Um, new solicitations for a contract or a contract like instrument will have this requirement in them. Um, any extensions, renewals, exercises of option years will have this clause in them. Um, any contract like instrument, especially if it's a procurement contract or a contract like instrument for services, construction, or a leasehold and real property. Um, if it's a contract or contract like instrument covered by uh, the Service Contract Act, if it is a contract or contract-like instrument for concessions or concession-like uh, contracts for the Department of Labor, or I'm sorry, excluded by the contract of labor, or if it is related to federal property or lands or related to offering services for federal employees, dependents, and, and the general public, it will absolutely have this clause. And that covers probably like 80% of the federal contracts. So by and large, the rule is it's going to be in there. Um, it's going to be an exception to the rule if you don't see it, but by and large, it's it's going to be in there. So what does this order not apply to? So this order does not apply to grants. It does not apply to contract or contract-like agreements with Indian tribes under the Indian Self-Determination and Education Assistance Act. It does not apply to contracts or contract-like instruments that meet the simplified acquisition threshold. So there's a, a yay to that, but it and it also does not apply to employees who are performing work outside of the U.S. or in outlying areas. And it doesn't apply to subcontracts that are solely for the provision of products. So that's an interesting thing, and it brings me to brings me back to who it does apply to. So if your contract does not fall in one of these exclusion categories, it does still apply to you. And it also applies to any employee working on the contract, working adjacent to the contract, working peripheral peripherally to the contract, or working in a, uh, a temporary capacity on the contract. So kind of all of those things that happen in the workforce planning of federal contracts and, and um, the staffing of them they're all going to be subject to this clause. And that's a big change because normally, you know, we kind of have some some leeway and some flexibility in those areas. But in this instance, they're just kind of doing a blanket. Anybody who comes anywhere near a covered contract or a contract-like instrument is going to be required to comply with the safeguards that are laid out in this executive order. And there really is not going to be any way for us to say, hey, you know, that was before we, you know, this came out, we signed our contract before this came out, we don't really need to do it. Um, we're not going to be able to say, you know, they're not really working on the contract, they're just kind of here one day. That's not going to be the case in this issue. In this issue, they've just kind of made it very clear that that they just are not differentiating between someone who is there sporadically and someone who is there full time. If they're anywhere near the contract, 
this safeguard applies to them. And you as a prime or you as a subcontractor still are responsible for making sure that the people that you bring in close proximity to this contract are safe and are upholding you safeguards for your company and for the the federal employees that they come in contact with and the the um, agencies that they come in contract with. So that's a big change. It's not something that we typically have to deal with, but in this respect, it is something that we have to deal with. Um, and it, it is also going to create a, another administrative burden because in order to comply, you have to show that you have these safeguards and then you have to show that you are actively enforcing these safeguards. So that means that you're going to have to assign someone on your staff to ensure that they are regularly checking to make sure that these clauses are included in the subcontracts, that they're included for the entirety of the subcontract, that it in, that it is extended to all contracts or contract-like instruments, that you have a way to attest that it is being it is being complied. Um, once you have done that, I think you should be okay. The The um, executive order is not terribly specific. It's kind of vague in that response, but um, knowing, knowing the government and how they kind of enforce contracts, it is going to be up to you to kind of figure out how to do it and how to implement it in a way that makes sense. But I would definitely say that it's easier on the front end to kind of get it sorted out and make sure that your definitions match, make sure that you know what you're looking for, make sure that you understand what is being asked of you, make sure that you're going systematically through your contracts and saying this, it applies to this contract, it applies to this contract, it doesn't apply to this contract, and then note why it doesn't apply to this contract. You know, this is a grant according to EO issued on 9-9, grants are exempt from this requirement. You know, just make sure in your compliance um, checks of your contracts that you're notating the justifications for why this clause doesn't apply to you and make sure that you're going through your subcontractor agreements for your current contracts that have option years coming up um, and you're going through them and making sure that you're submitting amendments to your subs saying hey this is a new regulation that we have to follow it needs to be for the entirety of this option year and for the entirety of the, the contract, make sure that they are understanding that they have to keep it in place for the duration. Make sure that they there's some, some sort of specificity to that in your contract and that they are attesting that they understand and that they agree to, to ensure that these protocols are in place for the duration of their time working with you. Um, make sure that they there is a compliance component as well in your in your subcontract that assures that they will do this and make sure that you're doing the annual reviews of your contracts so that you yourself are compliant and you don't have to carry that burden to make sure that your subcontractors are compliant if you sit down with them annually and do a compliance check and say hey this is our annual compliance check we just need to go go through the contract and make sure you're doing this this and this then I think you should be fine. It is a little bit more of an administrative burden, but if you knock it out in the beginning with the set kind of uh, compliance schedule, I think you should be fine in doing it. Um, we can follow up with a part two, kind of going over what those definitions are and what that means to you. But I think right now everyone should be aware that tomorrow they're going to start seeing this from the implementation phase. And by October the 15th, it's going to be um fully out there and it's going to be popping up everywhere. So we need to kind of get a handle of it now. So if 
as always, if there are any questions or comments or you want something further discussed, then just please let me know. You can either shoot me an email, you can um, shoot it to a podcast at adventures uh, in contracting.info. Shoot me a question there. Uh, you can shoot me a question at info at spcconsulting.org or you can Twitter. Uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, you can shoot me a question there. I'll be happy to answer it to the best of my knowledge. Um, But there is really no time to kind of deliberate on this. They've already put it in motion and and it is moving forward. And you have a little under a week before you start seeing it kind of on a full court press. So we'll see how it shakes out. Any clarifications that we get along the way, we'll be happy to put out. But in the in the interim, I would suggest that you begin going through your contracts, talking to your subcontractors, and really start to put a plan in motion on how you're going to implement this with your current contracts. Well, thank you guys for joining. I appreciate you. And I, I certainly always enjoy talking about contracts. So we'll see you next time. Thanks. Thanks.